You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Today, I want to talk to us about what is the mission of the church. I want each one of you to take a pencil in your brain and to write it down on a piece of paper in your brain. And I want you to write down what you think the mission of the church is. Okay, go ahead and do that right now. Write down what you think the mission of the church is. Now, the first thing we need to clarify is what the word church means. The church is the people of God. The church is not a building. So, a lot of times you'll have someone come up to you and they'll say, hey, what church do you go to? Well, actually, you can't go to a church because the church is the people of God. And so, all of those who have come to Christ by faith We are the church. So, the mission of God's people is the mission of God. And what is the mission of God? It was super exciting to see Kelsey get baptized. Kelsey has, for those of you that know Kelsey, Kelsey is a free spirit. And she has been begging me to get baptized for about three years since Chloe got baptized. Unfortunately, Kelsey's brain just cannot focus on one thing at a time. And so her understanding of the good news about Jesus has just, it's progressed a little slower than maybe I would hope. But as we were reading the Jesus Storybook Bible, she asked me again, Dad, I want to get baptized. And I said, all right, let's talk about it. So I want to share with you guys from the Jesus Storybook Bible. I highly, highly recommend this book by Sally Lloyd-Jones. If you have children, buy it. It won't let you down. But I want to read to us a quote from that, them that's going to express the mission of God. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes far, from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. The song that we just sang, I pulled a quote from this song. From a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Wow. A brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is that it is true. God is all about rescuing humanity. He's on a mission to rescue his world and to rescue the creatures, the human beings that were created in his image. Boy, we as humanity are doing our dead level best to destroy God's earth. But God is on a mission to rescue us. Why do we need to be reminded of this mission? Well, the first of all, I want to say the mission in our culture is opposite of God's mission. When Christy and I went to Thailand, 
we were introduced to some of the poorest people in the world. And when people would find out that we were Americans, they were just in awe that they were around Americans. These people are making $8 a day, and many of them have come from Cambodia and Burma to Thailand to make $8 a day because there they're making $2 a day. And they come up to me and they want to know what is America like. And then occasionally one of them would say to me, my dream is to live in America. Why is that? Because somehow the world knows that this American dream is unbelievable. You can have whatever you want to have. You can be whatever you want to be. But unfortunately, the American dream is all about me and my family and what I can have, which is the opposite of the mission of God. Because the mission of God is about sacrifice and laying down what we have for the good of others. Boy, do we need to be reminded of the mission of God because the mission of God is the opposite of the American dream. Number two, we need to be reminded of the mission of God because our mission is what drives us. Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you work the job that you work? Well, it's to do what you want to do. And if what you want to do becomes about things and possessions, your mission is off track. What is your mission? If your mission is the mission of God, your mission is all about rescuing and restoring God's world and the people within it. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians, to the church in Colossae. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. The authorized King James translation says, set your affections on the things above. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. What I want to do for us this morning is I want us all to go on a journey together. Okay? The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at this text from Matthew. And we're going to try to imagine it in the place and time with which Jesus spoke these words. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to take this passage... And I want us all to get out our pens and highlighters because I want us to highlight four things in this passage that change everything. And then lastly, what I'd like to do is I'd like us to step into our modern culture today and see how this text applies to us today. But I want to suggest to you that it's going to be impossible for us to understand this text today unless we understand it then. Does that make sense? I'm going to ask permission for you to give me your imagination this morning. And I want you to let me do something with it. Are you ready? Okay. I want you to imagine for a moment 
that Hot Springs, Arkansas is a nation. Early this morning, by horse, a messenger comes to deliver a message. We can see from afar the countenance of the horseman, and we know that this is not good news. You see, there's an army who is coming in hot on us. The messenger leaves us, and all of a sudden, all of the men here in the room, we go into our home and we grab our arms, our weapons. And we all meet at the town square. But another messenger is coming, and this second horseman arrives to us. And he gives us some news that is worse than the first. This is not a one-on-one battle. This is not a one-on-five battle. This is not a one-on-ten battle, one-on-a-hundred battle. The army that's coming to Hot Springs, Arkansas, is so great in number, there's really no point in us even having guns. The army enters our city, and every single man in this room is taken by chain and strapped to the ground. As we watch, they murder our children. They bring our wives in front of us and they take advantage of our wives and then they kill our wives in cold blood right in front of our eyes. That is the Roman Empire. With his majesty, Tiberius Caesar Augustus. I want us to look at what an ancient historian said about this Roman Empire. The Romans ransacked the world, and afterwards, when all the land has been laid waste by their pillaging, they scour the sea. They plunder, they murder, they rape in the name of their so-called empire, and where they have made a desert, they call it peace. In this place in time, you had peace with the Roman Empire when your land was no more. Oh, and then the Roman Empire took your wasteland and they rebuilt, we called colonization, they rebuilt a mini version of Rome. They built schools where they would teach philosophy and Greek. They built temples not only to their gods, but to the emperor. They built gymnasiums and arenas, and they built gyms to train the young men. They wiped the civilization to the ground, and they rebuilt it because the empire of Rome was all about world domination. Along comes Jesus of Nazareth. He begins to heal the sick and raise the dead. He begins to teach his followers that the kingdom of God has now arrived. And we can all see how it was easiest for both the Roman Empire and the nation of Israel to just end the life of this revolutionary Jesus Christ. What's amazing when you study the history of Rome 
is the casualness of public executions. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you send your little children off to school and they go off to school and they come home and they say, uh, uh, Mom and Dad, uh, Mr. McGillicuddy was uh, hanging from the, the cross on our way home from school. It was public and it was frequent and it was common. You know, today we're, we, we're, we're careful about letting little Johnny not play a video game where there's violence. Uh, they, they saw violence in the streets every day right in front of their eyes. Wow. And it was regular and it was common. And anyone who thought of getting out of line looked outside of their home and saw a cross with a man hanging and said, yeah, I, I think we'll bow to Caesar too. I want us to try for a moment to imagine the, the morning after the resurrection. I can imagine the government officials from both Rome and Israel kind of getting together and saying, okay, uh, we need to write a letter to uh, Tiberius, Caesar Augustus, and we need to inform him, all is well in your kingdom. There's no uprisings. There's no revolutions. Uh, everything is at peace. And so I can imagine that they would have penned a letter to the emperor of Rome and said, long live Caesar. That's what I can imagine. The morning after Jesus' resurrection, everything was different because the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. It changed everything. These followers of Jesus go from utter despair thinking they had followed the wrong guy to complete amazement. With all of this in our minds right now, I want us to look at our text from Matthew 28. And I want to say a couple of things about Matthew himself before we read this text. How many of you know the occupation of Matthew? He was a tax collector, right? So a tax collector is a Jew. Everyone stay with me here because this is, this is super important for us to understand this. Matthew was a Jew who was an independent contractor for the Roman government. So he worked for Rome, but he was a Jew. How many of you think the other Jews liked him? No. In fact, these tax collectors religiously were viewed as apostates and politically they were viewed as traitors. Matthew had literally traded all of his relationships for wealth. He was super, super rich, but everyone hated him. He was an outcast. He was an outsider. In fact, we can imagine how lonely Matthew would have been sitting in complete wealth with no family or friends. And Jesus comes up and says, follow me. Oh, here's the Pharisees over here. They're looking at Jesus and they say, why does he eat with such scum? That's Matthew he was talking about. Matthew was called scum by the Pharisees because he was a thief. He was a robber. And Jesus, these are Jesus' words to the Pharisees. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who I've not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know 
they are sinners. So, Matthew was the worst sinner who chose to follow the Messiah. He witnessed Jesus' life. He witnessed Jesus' death. He witnessed Jesus' transformed body as Jesus walked the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. And now Jesus is ready to give his disciples his final words. And would you read with me in Matthew chapter 28? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you grab your highlighters with me and would you highlight the words of Jesus? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus was now the king. And you all know that I'm imperfect, I'm imperfect because in your worship guides, there's a spelling error. Or there's a, the, the words are, are mixed up for you. So it's not Jesus was the now king, it's Jesus was now the king. Jesus was now the king. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that all power on heaven and earth belongs to me. We talked about the Roman Empire. If you had asked anyone in Jesus' day who had all power and authority, well, they would have said Tiberius Caesar Augustus. But I actually want us to rewind the clock two weeks to Pastor Capace's sermon on the spiritual realm. And I want us to consider the fact that Jesus did not come to save the Israelites from Rome, as the Jewish people thought. Jesus came to save the world from sin and death and the evil one. Let's look at N.T. Wright in his words. I love this. This is so, so helpful. Jesus is successfully opposed by the Jewish leaders on, on the one hand and unsuccessfully supported by the disciples. Why is that? Because all the disciples denied him and forsook him. This is a kind of comedy through tragedy. The subplots look as though they will prevent the hero from accomplishing his mission. But in fact, they precipitate him into the real and ultimately successful battle, which was all along not against the Jewish leaders, but against Satan. That's why Paul says to the church in Colossae, for he, the Father, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Jesus now has all power and authority both in the kingdom of Caesar Augustus and in the spiritual realm. That is the significance of this statement. When Jesus told his disciples that all power on heaven and earth had been given to him, this meant that no government, 
nor any spiritual force had authority anymore. King Jesus alone had all authority. Number two. I want us to highlight the words, all nations. And I'm going to take some time to unpack it because actually these two words are so significant that without understanding these two words, we don't understand anything in the Old Testament or anything in the New. These two words. You ready? Let's do it. Jesus intended to establish his kingdom through his disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can actually, we've talked about this historical context, we can actually replace the words all nations with Roman Empire. Jesus tells his disciples to go into the Roman Empire and to make disciples. And you can see how the disciples would have stood there and gone, huh? The same thing they did when, before Jesus died, he told his disciples, he says, oh, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to be crucified by the Romans. And they said, no, you're not. You're the Messiah. Uh, Didn't you come to to rescue us? Aren't you going to exile us out of this tyranny, away from the Roman tyranny? Aren't you going to free us? And Jesus was going to rescue them. But it wasn't from the Roman Empire. It was from that spiritual darkness, the kingdom of darkness. And now... Jesus is intending through his disciples to bring one family to himself from all nations. God's rescue plan was always intended for the whole world. And we have got to get our theology straight on this. Listen to me carefully. If you were to ask anyone in the Old Testament who are the people of God, everyone would have said... The Israelites. Duh, those are the people of God. But may I suggest to you something this morning? God did not elect or choose the people of Israel because he loved them, but he hated everyone else. How in the world does John the the Apostle bring to us the good news that God loves the world? Is God now different than he was in the Old Testament? Did the God of the Old Testament... Love Israel and hate the world? Oh, no, no, no. Don't you see in Genesis chapter 12 that it was through Abraham? This is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. It was through Abraham that God would bless all the earth, all nations. God's intention from the very beginning was to bring rescue and redemption to the whole world. How was he going to do it? Through the descendants of Abraham. God's mission from the very beginning has been to rescue all nations. And so we see that through Jesus, God is bringing one family to himself. In God's promise to Abraham, God was establishing one family from all nations. So Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. If God's going to have one family, and this family is all of those who are in Christ Jesus the Messiah, then who's going to rule that family? Well, now we have to go back to the covenant that God made with David. You see, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised King David that through his descendants, 
God would raise up a king that would rule forever. And then in the second psalm, King David himself wrote this, that this king will rule. And who will this king rule? Israel? No, no. All nations. King Jesus is the king of all nations, of all those who come to him by faith. In God's promise to David, in God's promise to David, he would establish this family under his rule. So through King Jesus, God would bring all nations under his rule. How would God bring together this family under his rule? Right here in Matthew chapter 28. By Jesus' disciples going into the danger of the Roman Empire, spreading the good news that Jesus had risen from the dead, and that all power and authority has been given to him, and whoever is baptized and, choos- baptized and chooses to follow Jesus can be a part of this kingdom. The establishment of the church was God's plan from the beginning to bring together all nations under one family under his rule. Imagine what it would have meant to these disciples that Jesus says to them, now all power and authority belongs to me and I want you to go into the Roman Empire and make disciples of all nations. Wow, incredible. Next. We see that the disciples were to observe the king's orders. Citizens of the kingdom observe the king's orders. I want us to highlight the words, make disciples. And then I want us to go to verse 20, and I want us to highlight teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What is a disciple? A disciple means to become a pupil. Disciples do what their teacher teaches them to do. But the amazing thing about the teacher is that he's the king and that the king laid down his life for the student. Wow. Jesus Christ is not only king, he's not only Lord, but he's savior. And we better get all all three of those straight. We cannot come to him as Savior and say, I'm not really going to be a part of the kingdom. He's not going to be king. He's not going to be Lord. He's just going to be my Savior. Jesus taught his disciples to lay down their lives for others. Forgive your enemies. Servants are the greatest. Give to the poor not to be seen by men. If you want to gain your life, give it up. If someone hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Don't seek revenge. So this idea of Jesus being king is that he expected those who would come into his kingdom by faith to follow him and do what he had told them to do. But what I want to highlight this morning is the idea of his disciples wanting to do what he taught them to do, not having to do it. Look at the screen. Jesus' disciples want to do what their king commands Because he is our king and savior. 
Jesus did not see a scenario where someone would become a citizen of heaven and not want to follow the king's orders. If someone had wanted to follow Jesus, but they asked one of Jesus' disciples, well, why do we have to do what Jesus tells us to do? Can you imagine the disciples' confusion? So I want us all for a second, and I'm not going to impersonate a teenage girl, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little whiny here. Will you let me be a little whiny? Well, why do we have to do that? If at any moment on this journey of discipleship, we ask the question, well, why do we have to do that? It's indicative that we don't want to do it. Are you all tracking with me? If I'm asking why I have to, it means I don't want to. And if I'm asking the question, why I don't have to and I don't want to, it means I don't want to. And if I don't want to, what does that say of who I think of Jesus? If the king of all the earth and the creator of all things has truly laid down his life for you, wouldn't you want to follow him? Wouldn't you lay down everything and surrender to him? It was completely expected of Jesus' followers that they would follow him. We see this in the early church. Let's look at a few verses from Acts chapter 2. You guys ready? Those who believed were baptized and added to the church. What's the first word in the next verse? All. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Next. And what's the next word? All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Wasn't Butch talking about that a minute earlier in regards to generosity? Those who realize who Jesus is and what he has done, they want to, they don't have to. James, the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, and the half-brother of Jesus. Look at what he says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? It's no good, right? If you say you have faith and you don't show it by your actions, that's a no-go. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Church, can it? No. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say... Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, Pastor James, didn't, he, Pastor James did not see a scenario in which someone would come under Jesus' rule and not do what he said. But I want to suggest to you, not only did James not envision a scenario where someone wouldn't do what Jesus said, but that they wouldn't want to do what Jesus said. When our heart has been radically changed by the grace of God, religion is not have to. 
It's a relationship with Christ that desires and longs to be under his teaching, under his authority. The disciples did, and the disciples taught others to do. Lastly, I want to say that, I want us to, I want us to highlight the words, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promised his disciples his presence. No doubt when Jesus said these words to his disciples, they would have remembered back to when Jesus said to them, as John writes in John 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Who now has all authority on heaven and earth in this story? King Jesus. King Jesus now tells his disciples, I want you to go into the Roman Empire and I want you to teach and make disciples and tell everyone the good news that now I've risen and I'm in charge. Uh, As we'll see here in a moment, their lives ended very quickly after that. But what I want us to understand is that King Jesus isn't expecting these disciples to go out into the Roman Empire without him. He is going to go with them because he is sending the Holy Spirit of God on this mission. All right, we talked about what is the mission of the church. We talked about what is the mission of God. And church, what is the mission of God? It's to rescue and redeem and restore the broken world, the broken people within the world. Are we all on the same page here? How is God going to do that? I want to submit to you this morning. He's not going to do it with the Holy Spirit minus humans. He's also not going to do it with humans minus the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit minus humans, and it's not humans minus the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission is not the Holy Spirit minus humans, nor is it humans minus the Holy Spirit, but humans and the Holy Spirit in a committed partnership. The Holy Spirit was sent to empower the disciples to accomplish the mission. Look at what Luke wrote in Acts chapter 4. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then what happened? Then they preached the word of God with boldness. The the Holy Spirit gave his disciples gifts to where they could go out into the Roman Empire and in the power of the Holy Spirit they could serve and they could teach and make disciples. He guided them as they traveled to spread the message. I want us to take a moment here, and I want us to look at how each one of these men died. As I was studying this, I thought to myself, I've got to include this in the message, because this is fascinating. We look at Jesus, the Messiah, and he's telling his disciples, go into the Roman Empire, and I'm going to be with you. That meant they were cool, calm, and collected, right? No problems, right? No, actually, they all died except for John. So Peter and Paul were killed by the Roman Emperor Nero, 
Andrew was crucified in Greece. Thomas was speared to death in East India. Philip was brutally killed by a Roman governor in North Africa. Matthew, who we read from his account today, was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was also killed in Ethiopia. James, the pastor that we just read from, was stoned and clubbed to death in Jerusalem. Simon the Zealot was killed in Persia. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace Judas, was burned to death in Syria. And John is the only one who wasn't killed for this mission. Now they tried to kill him. They boiled him in oil, but he survived. And then they exiled him to the island of Patmos. When we read the Great Commission, that God is sending his disciples into the world to preach the good news and make believers, we have to understand that this was a death mission. But they did it gladly. When we read the book of Acts, and we see the apostles and disciples, and they say things like this, They said they counted it worthy to suffer shame for his name. Oh, it was a joy to them to suffer and be brutally tortured because of the mission. All right, Gospel Light. All done with the sermon. Um, Let's talk about America. I'm not going to get up and talk about who I'm voting for in November. You might like that if I did it. Do you all understand this morning that Jesus is still king? He still has all power and authority. Right now in Hot Springs, Arkansas, Jesus Christ is king. And even though we are trying our best as human beings to screw up God's good world, he wants to rescue us. He is king. And not only is he king, But he has called you and me to go into our empire and to make disciples. You guys know Christy and I went to Thailand for five years. And sometimes I get into like a weird, awkward conversation with someone. And they like come up to me and treat me like I'm like something greater than human. Like, you went to a third world country? Wow. I don't know why that is. Like, I don't know why in our minds, like, we have some awe and affection towards someone who goes across the sea to spread the good news. And it's almost as if we think to ourselves, like, boy, I wish I could do that. But you won't cross the street of your home and talk to your neighbor. Church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess something to you this morning. And I'm going to confess this to my boss. Over the last two and a half years, I've forgotten the mission. Oh, man, it's so easy. Hot Springs, Arkansas, I mean, like, look at all the churches around here. I mean, if, if they want to go to church, they know where we're at. 
that's not how the mission works. It's not you minus the Holy Spirit, and it's not the Holy Spirit minus you. It's you and the Holy Spirit in a committed partnership. What would this community look like if you felt responsibility for your neighborhood? No, no, no. Not to convert people and get people into gospel light. To tell people the good news about Jesus. To make disciples. Gospel light, you do realize that someone can become a disciple of Jesus and go to another church and we're all still good, right? You, you got that? Like some of you came from another church to here. It's about making disciples. That's what the building's about. If we don't make disciples, we don't need a building. We don't build the building and then try to make disciples. No, we make disciples and, oh, now we need a building. That's what happened 28 years ago. Is a couple that was led by God's Spirit came to Hot Springs, Arkansas and started making disciples and all of a sudden, oh, they needed a building. And then their disciples started making disciples and we need a bigger building. That's the mission of God. The mission of God is you, every one of you, in partnership with the Holy Spirit to do good works here in your Roman Empire. Not without the Holy Spirit, but not without you. I want to fi- close this message by asking a question to all of us. Would you look at the screen? Is my mission the mission of God or have I become distracted by the American dream? As I typed out that question and sent it to Carrie, for Carrie to send to Ken to put up on the screen, I was overcome by conviction. It is so easy to make our mission everything but the mission. The mission of the church is the mission of God. And the mission of God is to rescue the broken world and the people within it. And you are a person in that broken world. And you needed to be rescued. And you need to be rescued. Would you bow with me this morning? Almighty Father, what a story. And it's true. The just judge of the earth is always going to judge fairly, which means you're always going to punish the guilty. And in your mercy, you want to withhold that that punishment from the guilty. But you're just and you're fair. And in the most amazing sequence of events, you become human. And you become the sacrifice. The innocent one taking the place of the guilty so that the guilty could go free. And then you don't just allow us to be passengers 
but you call us to be participants that the world around us might know the good news of the risen Savior. He's king. He's reigning. Father, would you call us to yourself? May we hear your call. May we choose to follow. Church, would you stand with me this morning? As the band begins to play, I want you to spend some time with King Jesus. You can come down here to the front and you can kneel. You can kneel there in your chair. You can stand. But would you spend some time with King Jesus, bowing to his authority and listening to his expectations?